Well, normally, I would be delighted to be able to speak two weeks in a row, but not for the reason this week. If you don't have the church app, there's a good chance that when Chip mentioned that John's mom passed, that may have been the first time you heard it. And I realized um, that pretty much once a week, those of us who stand up here mention the church app. And on the first slide that I prepared for today, I literally said, I might as well put the URL in there so that if you don't have the church app, you can get it. You don't have to be a member. There's no sign-in required. If that is something that you would like to be kept up to date of the things that are developing here at the church, we don't send out white noise. There's not a whole lot of stuff, that, but it's things that if you're interested in what God is doing here at Grace Church and how it impacts the family here, then I would encourage you to get the app. And before I get going, um, you've already seen the commercial for next week, regroup, next week, foundations. I'm not going to go through that again. But I will tell you that at the bottom of the app, there's a link to this book that my brother-in-law sent me this past week. And I have to admit, when I first looked at it, I go, okay, I really don't need another devotional. But... This has been, it is for morning and evening, it's very brief, it's a little bit awkward the first time you read it because she, um, the, the author, Sarah Young, um, is speaking in Jesus in the first person to you. And so far I've looked at several of them and she hasn't said anything that according to Foundations of Grace I would have a theological problem with. It's, but it is, it is a great comfort in I was thinking about John and, and his family as I was looking at this and how the words of Christ are incredibly comfortable to those of us who believe in him. And in difficult times, as the Escobar family has recently gone through, the Woodrums, many others, it's just a, it's a, it, there's just no way to convey the joy and the peace that can come from that. So if you're interested in getting this, it's also available on Audible, which I take great advantage of an awful lot. So when John let me know on Thursday that he wasn't going to make it back, today we would have been wrapping up our summer study of Philippians, which would have been the entire chapter. But John, when he, when he let me know, said, if you would, carve out verses 1 through 9 because he wants to use that next week for regroup. And he, will, he plans to be back. The funeral will be on Thursday. So I ask that you would continue to lift the Woodrum family up in your prayers. But verses 1 through 9, if I were going to be preaching from the entire chapter, I would probably have camped a really long time there because they are, it's just really some of the most encouraging words that Paul has ever written. And if you aren't familiar with Philippians chapter 4, you will enjoy verses 1 through 9 especially. So it's a fantastic passage to kick off our annual K-group uh, reset. So that leaves us verses 10 through 23, and you know how long it takes me to get through this stuff, so that's a lot to cover. But Paul here 
you should on the on the screen you will have some of the verses that are very familiar to many of us. They're they're memory verses. They're they're very um, they're they're just they're just great words of encouragement, and not just encouragement. But in in this passage, Paul goes to great lengths to acknowledge the effort of the of of the Philippians, and that is what I'm going to attempt. To convey because many of your Bibles include captions or titles in, over various sections of Scripture. Now, this morning we're going to be reading again from the, the New Living Translation, and it includes a heading that says, Paul's thanks for their gifts. These headings are not Scripture. They've been added by the publisher to help, especially if you have a digital version of your Bible, to search for particular topics that you may be interested in researching. But I'm reading currently, many of you know I read through the New Testament every 90 days. It's just something I love to do, it is, it, it, and I would encourage it to anybody. But of recent years, I've been taking a different translation each time. And right now I'm using the New American Standard Version, and the caption over this passage in the New American Standard is... God's provision. And it wasn't very long after I read the passage, I thought about that caption, and I go, do I really believe that? Is God's provision enough? Does my life, does your life, reflect a satisfaction with what God has provided? If you're anything at all like me, it's an uncomfortable question. Because the short answer to that would be, well, some days. Most days? It's a little awkward, ain't it? So let's pray and get started. Father, I, I just, I continue to lift up the Woodrum family, the Escobar family, any, any of those that have lost a loved one recently. These are difficult things, but you are gracious and you are good, and you know best what's, what we need and what needs to happen with respect to your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that as we jump into this text, that you will, you will speak through me and give me the words to help those that are going to hear it, for I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Some context first. As I just mentioned a little bit ago, I mean, Paul has just gotten through writing some of the most encouraging and beautiful words in, in all the New Testament. And in, in, in verses 8 and 9 are just spectacular, really. But we don't have time for that. That's for John next week. But he's writing this stuff from prison. I say this on any chance I'm up here. The thing that re is remarkable to me about the book of Philippians is Paul's writing this from prison. Now, prison has never been meant to be... Um, let's say, pleasant, right? Unlike today, however, in the first century, prisoners were required to fund their own incarceration. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. 
That would be a moral outrage now if we insisted that prisoners fund their own incarceration. I'd submit that it would probably make a dent in crime. But Paul had to rely on friends and family to survive prison. And I'd go far as to say that if you didn't have friends or family to help you with while you were in prison, your prison sentence probably wasn't going to be that long because you would starve to death because that's just the way it was in the first century. But the Philippians had helped Paul on at least four occasions. And clearly from verse 10, we see that it's been some time since their last gift. Why did they lack opportunity? No idea. But, the, but eventually, somehow, word got, managed to reach Paul that they were concerned about him, but unable to help. So as we see in the next, we will see in the next few verses, Paul's trust was in God to provide, always. That's where his trust was. He could have been bitter because he hadn't received a gift in a while. Instead, he was gracious. And let's take a few moments and flip it to the other side of the equation and look at the Philippian side. They wanted to help but were unable. Many of you may find yourself in a similar bind. The reason you can't help isn't as important as your motivation. And this is what I mean by that. Poor decisions, bad breaks, self-inflicted, beyond your control, none of those ultimately have the final word with regard to your generosity. Here's what I mean. Live long enough and every excuse begins to sound like the dog ate my homework. Honestly, excuses are embarrassing. And they are particularly embarrassing when it's a believer. I just, I wish people would learn this early in life. Excuses are just that. Own your own life. Own what happens to you, whether it's your fault or not. Stop making excuses. Paul isn't making excuses for, he's, he's, he's unjustly in prison, and yet he maintains his graciousness and his concern for others. Here's another thought. If you find yourself as the same boat as the Philippians, you really want to give, but you just can't. You're, you're strapped. You're, I mean, the month is longer than your money. I mean, it's all of that, right? But you have a desire to give more. Pray and ask God to search your heart. Search your heart first. Ask him if you're really wanting to be generous. Or as James put it in James 4.3, you really just want to consume it upon your lust. You want to have more, and you think you want to be gracious, but ask God to search your heart to make sure that that's really your motivation and not to consume it on your own lusts. If it's the former, you never know. Pray and seek and ask, and he may just trust you with more, more to be able to be more generous and more gracious. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. 
I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Here we have our first no matter what of the morning. No matter what, the title of our series for Philippians for the summer. Contentment no matter what. Plenty or little, scarcity or abundance, hungry or stuffed to the gills. Paul was resolved to be content regardless of his circumstance. I'm afraid too often many of us helicopter in to claim verse 13 without fully owning the entire context. Verse 13 sounds spectacularly spiritual on its own, does it not? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Everything. I'd suggest most of our definitions of everything would amount to about most of the time when we're just getting jammed up pretty hard, right? World's kind of climbing on on you, and you're feeling the walls closing in, and then verse 13 kind of comes up into mind. I can get through this, right? Of course this verse is appropriate for those kind of days, or when you've, got, you, you've run out of money, or adversity kicks you to the curb. Of course this verse is for that. But in your mind... Does everything include staying gracious if you hit the lottery? I never hit the lottery. But I can tell you, abundance is a test. A test that you will fare much better at if you're looking to the Lord for guidance. See? All of us, you know, if we hit, you know, we're in abundance, we're in a situation, we get this huge bonus, and what happens? We have a windfall, and we're calling our accountant. We got to make sure that we protect that, and and on and on it goes. I know. I've lived a little bit through that. It's embarrassing. It doesn't need to be, because God is in the everything business. He wants to be there, the strength for you, when it doesn't seem to make much sense. Verse 14, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Paul is bookending what he wrote in verse 10 with verse 14. While they had been hindered in helping Paul in verse 10, here, immediately after noting that he was always trusting the Lord to provide for him, he commends the Philippians for not quitting because it was hard. Sharing is doing well. It is difficult to explain to unbelievers the joy that comes from helping others. And help doesn't have to be based on need, by the way. Ask any of the deacons who helped with putting Miss Ann's new floor in she didn't ask for it. She didn't, want, she didn't particularly want it. But it was something that we noticed, and the deacons did it. And I can tell you, there's great joy in participating in something like that. Yesterday's work day. <laughs> I got to tell you, it was hot yesterday morning. When we left at noon, it was 97 degrees. Ask anybody who was here. We got a lot accomplished, and it was great fellowship, and it, w- and it felt 
good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, you know, that we, we have to have the graciousness of your monetary gifts in order to do ministry. Absolutely have to. But I would submit to you that, that, that stroking a check isn't always as fulfilling and gratifying as standing and working with somebody, sweating and doing things for God's glory with other believers. I'm going to tell you, it's just, it, they're not the same. And it's something that you, it, it's offered here. I mean, grace has always got something going around, whether it's not, it's the school, the campus, what the church has got going on, Jesus is, and what Cameron is up to. I mean, there's things that the Lord is doing here at Grace that you can get involved in, and it just doesn't have to be stroking a check. Verse 16, 15, pardon me. Paul continues to commend the Philippians here. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you um, the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. A little more context for you. Despite the wealth of the area, many don't realize that Philippi was situated directly adjacent to one of the biggest gold mines in the entire region. Any gold mine, you know what they attract? People. Right? It was, a, it was a hub east of Rome. And in spite of that, the Church of Philippi historically is recognized as one of the most impoverished churches in all of the New Testament era. They were marginalized and persecuted rigorously by the Romans. And yet they remained faithful to the cause of Christ by sharing, sacrificing in Paul's difficulties. They didn't just feel for Paul, say they were going to pray for him, which are both important. But they put their money where their mouth was. So this is the other side of what I was just saying. They gave, they took action, and they were gracious, and they were generous. If we're honest, there are some months where cutting our offering check is harder than others. Happens for the most of us. This is an area where John Piper likes to remind his readers to not limit themselves to bygone grace. I had never heard of that before I read John uh, Piper put it out. He, this is my personal paraphrase of, it's not an actual quote, but these are the t my takeaways from several of John Piper's writings. It's to not just rely on what God has done for us in the past. Rather, trusting in God for future grace, trusting him even when reason might dictate otherwise. So like our series, no matter what, rely on God's future grace, his power to stay gracious and generous when reason might dictate otherwise. I guess I could really frame that up by basically saying, stop reasoning and start believing and trusting in what God has said he will do. We spend an awful lot of our education in our adult life reasoning what is reasonable. A lot of things God asks you to do, I got to tell you right out, straight out, are unreasonable to most people. But God 
in his strength, as Paul just said in verse 13, makes the difference. Verse 17, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Their sacrifice, their sweet-smelling gift amounted to what? Worship. He doesn't say that explicitly, but he does implicitly in verse 18. Follow me. Paul didn't want or need their gift when he received it. Rather, he wants them to receive a reward for their kingdom sacrifice. He knew what it was like in Philippi. We might not, but he did. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When we make sacrifices, they are acceptable and pleasing if they are done to honor God. They weren't done to honor the celebrity Paul. Get that. They were done because God, they saw the need, they let themselves do something about it, and it was acceptable and pleasing to God. To me, this is a variant of Hebrews 11.6 and is married very tightly to the faith walk that we noted last week. And I've had a couple of you ask me about that slide, the faith walk slide. Don't have it today. I was rushing to get the slides done for today. But there's a link in the bottom of the app if you're interested in getting a copy of the faith walk. Um, without faith... In Hebrews verse eleven six, it says what? It is impossible to please God. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe he exists. And what's the last part? And he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This oft-quoted verse raises the question of today's sermon title. Is God's provision enough? Paul's answer, it is. God's provision is enough. Paul's contentment what he referred to in verse 12 as his secret to living in every situation boils down to one word, trust. Last week was a terribly difficult week for the Woodrum family. They had a front row seat reminder that no matter how much we pray, no matter how good you are or how bad you are, we live in a fallen world and unless the Lord returns, every single one of us will die. Every one of us will experience heartache. Paul himself would soon be martyred. But you'd never know it by reading this letter. I mean, you wouldn't just, you just wouldn't, especially the verse we just read. And the next. For Paul, or any of us, like last week, staying heavenly focused regardless of circumstances was paramount to joy. 
I talk an awful lot about joy because I like it. I'd much rather be joyful than the older Roy, which was generally ticked off an awful lot, which is one of the reasons why I've stopped in taking news from the outlets that we have available to us. They're all driven by agenda. All of them. I don't care which side of the aisle you, you prefer. They're all agenda-driven, and they're all, they're all cranked up. Not towards joy, though. Staying heavenly-minded and unwaveringly trusting in God, he and the Woodrums remained able to prioritize the encouragement of others. You should see some of the text that John was writing me. Not the difficulty of their present circumstance. They weren't overwhelmed by it. Their circumstances weren't overwhelming because they were relying on a power that wasn't their own. This is an aspect of our faith that frustrates so many of us, me included. The power to do this is his power. The power of Christ in us. It's in you. You can't go find it. The surgeon can't cut you open and take it out. It's in you. I think Job put it best. Though he slay me, yet. Will I what? Trust him. Can you say that and mean it? Verse 20. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Before closing, Paul breaks out into what I would call a mini hallelujah. He does this throughout many of his letters he gets so excited at times. You can imagine, he's just, he's just writing, right? Probably without very much light, you know. And yet he just gets to this point where he gets so excited that he's got to blurt out, glory to God. I'm convinced God's provision will never be fully enough for any of us until we trust him fully. A little bit trite. I'll grant, you know, that, that might have just a little bit of a sing-songy bit to it, but let me say that again. God's provision will never be fully enough until we trust him fully. Trusting is hard. For most of us, there is nothing easy about fully trusting God. Theodore Roosevelt once said, nothing worth having is ever easy. Now, most of us would attribute this, see, this saying uh, to a material gain. To me, that would be small thinking. I would take it much further, and spiritually, I'd suggest that it applies the most to trust. Trust, quite possibly, may be the most difficult thing for any of us to do this side of glory. Consistently, most days, instead of what I said earlier, some days, especially if you had dreadful parents or you found yourself in an untrustworthy marriage, those leave lasting scars that only the Holy Spirit can free you from. Sure, caring believers, Samaritans, counseling, all of these things can help. They do help. But they, they, their power does not compare to what trusting God and the power of his Son and Spirit can provide you. 
They just can't. Paul wants his readers to trust God as he does, content with that provision, his provision, no matter what. I normally have a sign up there that tells me how, much, how long I've been going. I, we're going we're gonna to finish up the, the last part of this. He finishes with a greeting. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul sends along his final greetings and his signature ending. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He always opens his letters in the first few sentences with, opens with grace to you. That's his signature opening. That was, that was the earmark of a letter from Paul. Grace to you. And he finishes with grace be with you. Which is one of the reasons why scholars doubt that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Because it doesn't include that. And it's not that important. God clearly wrote the book of Hebrews. It's the best book in your entire Bible. It's, it's situated. I wish that, that, that when they finally settled on the canon, which we'll go over in, the, in Foundations of Grace, I, I personally wish that they stuck the book of Hebrews between Malachi and the Gospels because it's the transition from explaining all the Old Testament into the New. But I digress. Let's wrap this up. Head, heart, hands. Head. God's provision is enough. Or is God's provision enough? Is it a question or a statement? The truth for most of us depends on the day, does it not? Depends on our circumstances, unfortunately. That is exactly what Paul is attempting to address in this passage. Replacing the emotional yin-yang of circumstance with trust and contentment driven by joy. Paul steadfastly refused to let his circumstances dictate his joy or his trust in what God had provided him. Boy, I wish we could all say that. Which raises the question of the heart. Which one of those would be your words on most days? And would anybody, could anybody testify that that's how you're actually living? I have to admit, that's intentionally uncomfortable. I've yet to meet anyone who flawlessly lives their life in complete trust of God's provision. Other than Jesus, that is. Of course, he did. And once you actually start thinking about it, as you're reading the gospel records, you see it everywhere. He was looking to his father. I don't do anything other than what he who sent me, which we talked about several weeks back. It's just the nature of the way Jesus lived his life, which we are 
sanctification process in every single one of us is working out our sanctification with fear and trembling, right? This is another thing that we learn that fear there isn't supposed to be, ooh, I'm afraid. It's respectfully looking to God as God. And the trembling bit is actually also the word underneath that is about, it's about excitement, that you want that. That's what you want. That's what you're longing for. This is where verses like Galatians 6, 9 can speak encouragement to us. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we will reap if we don't, what, give up. Finally, hands. Trust is hard. Similar to my hands last week, I, I have to tell you, this is about determining to live every day more like Paul. You know, it's not that, you know, Paul said, imitate me as what? As I imitate Christ. Plan to work, uh, I grabbed this from this. I really like this because anybody who's been in marriage mentoring, which Uri and I knows that we talk about the rhythm of a marriage. You know, you, when you get married, you have to figure out the rhythm of your partner. You know, it just doesn't magically happen. You got to work at it. Well, you have to work at trusting God in a similar, <clears throat> in a similar way. It's plan to work on the rhythm in your rhythm with God, intentionally trusting him more today and tomorrow than you did yesterday. Making progress, committing to trusting God more in the coming week than you did last week. I promise, promise, you will be rewarded for your effort. Let's pray. Trust is hard, Lord. can't see you, we can't shake your hand, and yet we have to trust you if we're going to understand the joy that Paul had in miserable circumstances and your son did facing the torches of the cross that were all necessary because of the sin that's in every single one of our lives. I'm just grateful, Lord, that you're patient with us, that our inability to trust you fully and to trust in your provision every day is not something that you hold against us. It is not something that disqualifies us from your graciousness. You're just waiting as you were for the prodigal son, ready to run to us when we're ready to run to you. I'll continue to lift up John and his family, and I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.